friend when I was a pastor at Trinity in San Pedro, Trinity Lutheran Church. He was at Trinity Catholic Church. And uh, we were good buddies, and we actually got married in the Catholic Church. Can you imagine a Lutheran pastor being married in the Catholic Church? We didn't have room in our Lutheran Church, so we asked them, and uh, we got permission, and that was a celebration. So, hey, we've been talking about training. We said we didn't want to teach you, we wanted to train you. We didn't want to educate you, we wanted to equip you. And uh, I found this wonderful book on prayer ministry, and uh, we're offering it tonight for five cents. If you don't have five cents, we'll give it to you. Uh, it goes up tomorrow to $40, so uh, I'd encourage you to get your copy tonight. I'll put them here, uh, especially if you read it. If you, if you don't intend to read it, probably don't want to buy it. So why are we doing this training? It's because we believe that the kingdom of God is coming near. John the Baptist and Jesus both gave the message, repent, for the kingdom of God is, come, is at hand. It's coming close. And some of us have had that word, that prophetic word, that it's coming close to the Twin Cities and spreading throughout the, the Twin Cities and uh, throughout the state. And so we wanted to do equipping so that we're not asking them to come to this building. We're going to find them out there. What if, okay, flip that on there. What if we did as much praying at Caribou as we did here? I grew up in a wonderful Lutheran church where I knew the pastor very well. He was my dad. I don't remember ever getting prayed for with the laying on of hands except when I was filled with the Holy Spirit as a high school senior at a Bible camp. You expect those things to happen at Bible camp. And that's when it happened. I don't remember ever having what we call now prayer ministry. It just wasn't happening. What if it now happened for you as much outside the walls as in here? That's our hope. For some people, it happens far more out there than in here. If I heard that as a uh, high school student, that someone had prayed at Walmart's, I would have said, that guy's a superhero. Now I'd say, if, if somebody said that happened, I'd say, well, that's cool. That's really cool. And I'd encourage them to do it all the more. So what we're doing is not just for in here. It's for out there. It's anywhere. Let your light so shine. Keep saying it. Before men, where are they? They're, all, they're everywhere. They're at school. They're at work. So we can let that light shine, and when God gives us an opportunity, we can pray. We can actually put our hands on them and touch them like you demonstrated last week. So that's what we're, we're doing here. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call unto me, and I will show you great and mighty things that you don't know about. I want to do that. I want to see it in my life. I want it to happen. Don't you want to see miracles happen in you and through you? You want to see that, don't you? And so what we're doing here, we're focusing especially tonight on deliverance because people are bound up and people need help to get released. And God may be asking you to do it. To, for this to happen, you need to look at three pictures. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention three different, picture, three different people, picture of three different people, and then I'm going to turn it over to Dave, and we're going to do a 
kind of a demonstration of deliverance. So the first picture you need to get right is your picture of God. What's God like to you? You looked at Matthew 25, you find a man who said, I knew, I know you are, I, I knew you were a hard man. We say, where did he get that? He doesn't seem like a hard man. He just said, come, enter into the joy of your master. I reward you. This is going to be fun. We'll have time at fellowship. He's not a hard man. Where did he get that? I don't know. Disillusion? Discouraged? Maybe he prayed and something didn't happen? It happens to people. If you've been discouraged by life and you found out that God isn't as good as you thought he was, then it'll make it difficult for you to pray for people because you won't be praying the love of the Father into them because maybe you're not convinced. Maybe you think you ride the bench. Maybe you're a second stringer. Maybe God blesses people. You just don't have to be one of them because that's the way God is. He blesses some people and not others. Are you thinking that way? If so, I pray that God can heal you so that you see God as he really is. How is he really? He really loves you. You are special. You have a God-appointed destiny, and he wants to show it to you. And a part of that is being used by him to touch other people with your power and love. That's who God is. He loves to use people like us. So first picture, picture of God. Second picture, picture of you. You know who you are. You have a sense of confidence and well-being. I'm a child of God. I'm special, just like everybody else in the universe. I'm, I'm special, but it's not about me. I love people. I care about others. That's who I am, right? That's who you are. That's why you're learning how to pray for people. Next week, we'll do healing. That's how... That's why I want to, to help deliver people, because people are stuck. So this is why you're getting the training, because we know who you are. We've seen who you are. You want to be used. You want God's encounter to touch other people, right? Do I hear an amen? Okay. So that's your picture. What about your picture of other people? Not competitors. They're broken like I am. Bible says that God is near to the broken hearted. So I want to be near to them if God's near to them. I want to see other people in a way that God sees them. Disciples didn't see that Samaritan woman. So I think Jesus just sent them off to get hamburgers because they were going to be in the way. He was about ready to do some evangelism. And he wanted to do it without them asking him questions why he's doing this. Because they didn't see her like Jesus saw her. I want to see people like Jesus sees them. I want to see other people. I want to care about people. So that's why we're doing prayer ministry, because we see God and who he is. And he really loves us. And, and we know ourselves that we care about people. We want to be instruments. We're not here just to take up space on the planet. We're here for a God-ordained purpose. It includes touching people so that they know the God that we know. And then we look at others. We see them. We see something about them. We see people from other countries, and we think, yeah, some of them are throwing their babies in a muddy river in India to appease an angry God. And we say, no, that's got to stop. 
That can't happen. I'll do whatever I can to change that person's concept of God. So that's who you are. And you're going to connect with those people. So tonight, we're specifically looking at the situation of people who find themselves stuck and not only need a prayer of healing, but they need what we call deliverance. They need to be rescued. They are caught, they are trapped, and they can't break free themselves. And they need somebody to come in. And Dave does a lot of that. And so we asked him if tonight he would just help us to understand that. Do you want to use this mic or do you want to use one of those mics? Okay. Thank you, Paul. Hey, it's great to be with you again. Um, Paul laid out, I think, a really good foundation. And I want to just um, very quickly take us to the scriptures and give us um, what I call confidence-building verses. Because if you know what God has given us, and you understand that that is to be applied, then I think you can walk in way more confidence. In the back of my mind, anytime I'm doing something, I have verses coming through my mind, and I'm thinking, yeah, that's what I'm holding on to. I'm, I'm taking that verse. Uh, one of the typical verses that I think about is Ephesians 2.10, where... The Apostle Paul says, for we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, a creative masterpiece, an artistic masterpiece. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So uh, last week, I'm at the uh, tax guy's office figuring out tax stuff. And as he's, we're just kind of chit-chatting, and uh, he says, oh, yeah, I, I go on runs every day. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, I've already run like three miles today. And I said, well, what do you think about when you're running? He's like, oh, I think about all kinds of things. I said, well, do you ever think about spiritual things? He's like, oh, yeah, all the time. And so I found that just asking questions can open up all kinds of interesting opportunities for conversation. And I said, well, in your thinking about spiritual things, let me ask you another question. In your experience with God, have you ever come to, to know God in a personal way, or are you still in the process? And he thinks about that for a second. He said, well, I'd like to think I've got this personal connection, but I'm really not sure... So I guess I'm kind of in the process, but I will say I'm getting closer. And I said, that's really good. You're moving in the right direction. Well, the, the subject changed, and we got business done. And I'm, you know, it's like this guy uh, has different customers, so I'm, I'm aware of his time. And at the end of the appointment, 
Uh, I stick out my hand and say, hey, thank you so very much. He shakes my hand, and as I am shaking, I said, let me just give you a blessing. Lord Jesus, I just ask you, and again, I've got my eyes open. I'm just smiling into his face, and I'm saying, Lord Jesus, I just ask you to reveal yourself to so-and-so in such a new and different way that he would fall in love with you in a, in a new way. And he did tell me he was looking for another job. And I said, Lord, find him a good job that he would just love. Amen. I took seven, maybe eight seconds as I'm holding his hand. And you know what his response was? His, his face lit up. And he said, thank you. I sure appreciate that. I'll see you again in two weeks. Said, yep. <laughs> so see... When you know you're coming back, you, now the door's been opened like this, so now the next step is to go a little farther, a little farther, and see how much of the gospel I can share with him, how much God loves him, how he sent his son to pay the penalty for his sin. And so those are the opportunities. See, I see that as God preparing good works for us that we should walk in them. That was a good work that I was just able to walk into. And you can see that over and over and over again. What I want you to do, if you have a Bible, to either open it up or turn it on and uh, go to Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And I'm just going to read that for us. But these are confidence building verses. This is where Jesus has selected his 12 apostles in Luke chapter 6. And by the time we get to chapter 9, well, from Luke 6, 7, 8, in fact, in verse, or chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And the 12 were with him. They were traveling around. They were in an apprenticeship. They were learning how to do what Jesus does. By the time we get to uh, chapter 9, Jesus makes this statement. He says, when Jesus had called his 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. The underlying concept of the whole New Testament is the kingdom of God. It's here, but it's not yet, as theologians have described. Um, a few weeks ago, maybe a few months ago, um, I was invited to talk about the kingdom of God and how healing works in that. Because the kingdom is here, God wants to demonstrate signs and wonders. That's part of the kingdom of God. He tells us to pray that things would um, take place on earth just like they are in heaven. That his kingdom that is established in heaven would come to earth. That is what we get to participate in. And as Nate was praying earlier, the things in heaven we pray down here to earth. Um, Ephesians 1.3 says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing... Where? In the heavenlies. Well, what are they doing up there? 
we've got to pray those down so that we can experience those here on earth. In, um, in Luke, Jesus gave them power and authority. Both of those are very important. Power is the skill or the ability to accomplish a task. That's what power is. Authority is the delegated right, it's a legal right, to act on someone else's behalf. So when somebody gives you authority at your job to accomplish something that came from your boss, they are delegating you authority to accomplish something on behalf of the company. So in the same way, God sent Jesus. Jesus is now sending his disciples. And we see that God has given the authority to Jesus, and Jesus is now passing that authority on to his disciples. 1 John 3.8, the second part of the verse says, that the Son of Man appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, and he recruited 12 apostles to help him to destroy the works of the devil. And then in the next chapter of Luke, chapter 10, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Now, skip down to verse 16. And this is a good illustration of what authority is. Jesus tells his disciples, or his, um, yeah, at this point, point the 72 disciples, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. So see, that's delegated authority. Jesus said, if they're rejecting you, they're not really rejecting you, they're really rejecting me. But in fact, they're not really rejecting me, but they're rejecting the Father who sent me. See, that's how that delegated authority works. And then look at verse 17. They come back. Anytime you are delegated with um, authority and power to do something on behalf of somebody else and represent them, they have to give a report. And here we have the 72 coming back and giving their report. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They were thrilled. These are confidence-building verses because what we find is in Matthew 28, 18, where Jesus, after the cross, he'd been crucified, he's resurrected now, he's on his way to be seated on the right hand of God the Father, and yet he tells us, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, that's a lot of authority. Therefore, go and make disciples, or as you're going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And what did he command his disciples? to preach the kingdom of God, to heal the sick, to cast out demons. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So the idea is that his disciples are to be doing this until his second coming. 
when, when he comes again, then that's it. We don't need healing and deliverance anymore. But until then, we need that. We want to walk in that. Every believer that is indwelt with the Holy Spirit has the power and authority to deal with demonic strongholds, um, demonic influences in people's lives. That means you. And so often I talk to pastors, I talk to missionaries that are scared of Satan. And I think, haven't you read your Bible? The Word of God tells us that we don't have to fear that stuff. That he has given us power and authority to deal with that stuff. We don't see the disciples back in the day running in fear. In fact, in Matthew 16, he tells Peter that I will build my church and the gates of hell or Hades will not prevail. The idea of Jesus is we're supposed to break in through the gates of hell and rescue those people out to bring them into salvation, to bring them into freedom. And so that is our part of our job description. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and might have it to its full, have it abundantly. So part of our job is to help people experience that abundant life. And unfortunately, many people are suffering under the bondage of the enemy. And so it is our um, opportunity to help people get set free from that. Now, so many times we think of demonic bondage in extreme excesses. In the New Testament, we see the, the picture of the Gadarene demoniac. And uh, he was bound by chains, but he would break the chains. He was naked. He would cut himself. And he was um, outside the city because nobody could handle him. Well, that on a scale of 1 to 10, that is definitely a 10. Most of the people that you deal with that are in demonic bondage are more like in the 1, 2, and 3 area. I see this all the time. And most people don't even realize there's demonic bondage in their life. And so uh, we just think, well, that's, you know, uh, that's just me. That's who I am. And just by asking questions and with a heart of compassion, we can ask to pray for them. And oftentimes it doesn't take too much prayer if they're in the area of the one, two, or three. I think a few weeks ago, I may have shared this story. I speak at so many different places, I can't remember. So if you've heard this story, uh, so be it. Um, there's some people here that I know haven't heard this story. But I was talking to a friend, and she was telling me that she needed to, um, the way she was putting it, I get to go see my son this weekend, but I'm going to hate the flight down to Atlanta. I'm like, why? She's like, I hate to fly. I've only flown once in my whole life, and I just got so scared, and I just hate to fly, and I've never flown before. In fact, I wouldn't do it this time, but I want to go see my son. So I'm just going to suck it up and go. So she, the picture in her mind was to white-knuckle it all the way there. And I said, oh. So I'm asking, I'm, I'm going to do a little interview. And in fact, when I pray for deliverance for people, 
Um, now, I didn't know if this was a, a demon per se or just a stronghold. In other words, a lie that somebody has believed. Either way, it's got power to it. And it has been keeping her from flying. And so I do this little five-step deal. It, the first thing I do is I'll do an interview. Um, where does it hurt? What's going on? Well, she just told me that. She hates to fly. If she would have gone to a therapist, they would say, oh, you have a phobia. This is typical of whatever percentage of people have this phobia. The next thing I do is, so where does it hurt? Why does this person have this condition? So I asked her, I said, well, when you flew that one time, was there a traumatic experience? Like, did, was it a bad flight? Did you almost crash or something like that? She's like, no, it was a good flight. I don't know why. I just couldn't stand the thought of being in this little tube flying at 600 miles an hour at 35,000 feet. That just kind of scared me. I said, well, that's reasonable. <laughs> so I do a little interview. Where does it hurt? The second thing, why do you have this condition? She doesn't know. It just kind of came mysteriously out of nowhere. So the third thing I'm doing is thinking, okay, what kind of prayer do I need to pray in order to help this person? There's a whole variety of types of prayers that we see in the New Testament that could help this person. So I'm kind of thinking that. So then I go into prayer as I'm praying. The fourth step would be to ask, how are we doing? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? We're, there's prayer engagement. A few weeks ago, I talked about how it, it, what we're trying to do is help people connect with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes people don't know how to connect, so we're coaching them in how to be more receptive to the power of the Holy Spirit. So, And then the fifth thing is post-prayer direction. In other words, now after the prayer, now what do we do? Now it's understand some certain things. I'll give them some Bible verses. I'll say, um, you know, if I don't know, are you involved in a church? Are you involved in a small group? We need to be in an environment that is going to nurture and, in, and encourage us. Yes. <laughs> so those are, so this is what's going through my mind as I am dealing with people. This is the same thing I do for healing. Where does it hurt? How did they get this condition? Sometimes they know, sometimes they don't. That's where you're also listening for words of knowledge. God can reveal things that they don't even know or they've forgotten. Um, prayer selection. What kind of prayer is going to help this person? Then prayer engagement. How are we doing? I have conversation with what's going on. Oftentimes I'll say, are you sensing anything? What's going on? Oh, I feel heat. Or I feel tingling in my body. Or I just feel peace. Oh, wow. They will tell you what's going on, and that's important. Uh, last week I talked about the importance of keeping your eyes open. Um, to learn to pray, 80% of communication, communication experts tell us, um, is nonverbal. So by keeping your eyes open and watching what's going on gives you clues in how to be helpful to them. And then lastly, post-prayer direction helping them out after they pray. Remember when Jesus uh, was dealing with a woman caught in adultery? What was his post-prayer direction? Go and sin no more. Wow, that was a long counseling appointment. 
<laughs> like, like she could choose to do that. Had been caught in adultery, and Jesus says, where are, where are all the other ones? Does no one condemn you? No, my Lord, neither do I condemn you. But go and sin no more. See, it's one thing to get set free. It's another thing to stay free. And I think that's where oftentimes we've uh, dropped the ball, so to speak. So, um, those verses, Jesus commands his disciples to bring the kingdom of God, not just to talk about it, but to demonstrate it. And I think we are under the same compulsion that we know not only have to talk about it, but to demonstrate it out of a compassionate heart. And so um, tonight I was uh, anticipating doing a little demonstration. Sometimes that can be kind of intimidating. But um, I just felt like the Lord said that there was somebody here that has been experiencing some night terrors, like... Um, you know, nightmares or something like that, that I would like to pray for you. And uh, if you don't mind coming up so I could just kind of do a demonstration. So is there anybody that would fit that description? You've been having night terrors maybe the last couple nights, maybe off and on for a while, but you would like to see freedom from that. Thank you. What's your name? Neoma. Neoma? Okay. Step right this way. So um, I already know point number one, where does it hurt? Nightmares. So I felt like that was the, the, I was asking the Lord, and so he shared that with me. That would be called a word of knowledge. Information from God about somebody here that is in need of ministry. So what's the th second thing I'm going to do? You remember? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, the yeah, the first one is, where does it hurt? Second one would be, why do they have this condition? So I'm just going to ask a few questions. How long have you been having these night terrors? Since you were 11 years old. So that's been at least a couple of years, huh? <laughs> yes. Um, Now, uh, I want to tell you, too, that I am in between questions. I'm actually praying in tongues. And I've, I'm holding her hand because I really believe that there's a, a strong connection when, I can, when people allow you to touch them. Um, there is a flow of the spirit. It's a little different. It's not like you have to touch them. I remember a gal one time, somebody sent me to her. <laughs> Or she actually came up and said, hey, um, this person said that uh, you can pray for me for a headache. So I've got a headache. I said, oh, okay, can I put my hand on your shoulder? And she said, no. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I just prayed for her for a distance. And uh, I said, now, uh, how do you feel? She's like, it's gone. She just turns around and walks away. <laughs> I don't know. You, you you're just trying to be kind and polite and helpful, okay? So uh, some people um, don't like to be touched, and that's okay. So um, from 11 years old, you are having these night terrors. And how often do you experience those? Um, 
okay. So do you try to sleep on your side? Did you hear that? She said, when I sleep on my back, I get those night terrors. Um, do you try to sleep on your side or anything like that? Okay, yeah. Okay, very intense when she's sleeping on her back. Now, she said something when I asked her, how long have you had this since I was 11? What would be a good question to ask? Was there anything traumatic that happened when you were at that age? So you've made a public profession of your faith. And then I, I couldn't remember, and I don't remember what that was, but I just did. But then I was also growing pains in my face, but at the same time I was so serious about other things that I believed that other religions are not as bad very serious about the Almighty. So Excuse me just a second. Can you guys hear this back in the back? Is she speaking loud enough? Can we? Which mic should we use? This right here. There you go. If you could just kind of summarize that real quick yep. and then bring us up to speed. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just started um, reading a lot about the occult. My dad has a lot of books because he's a pastor, and so I just read a lot and. It got me really confused, and then I was just kind of a very dark child that would um, meditate and just, like, go into really deep thought places. And, um, yeah, so then um, I got the first ever nightmare was this person in a red shirt and a black and black pants always sitting on my left, and I'm on his right. And he's very um, mad at me and saying, I have to quit going to church. I have to quit going to church. So then um, I had that dream like three times in three days. And then I got deliverance prayer for that. The professor told me that it's because I didn't remember the date of when I got saved. So he prayed over me again, told me to remember that date. So now I remember the date. But then I've always had demonic dreams and I sleep on my, ba on my back. Okay. Yeah. Um. Did you ever feel a time when God called you for a speci specific purpose in the ministry or anything like that? Um, yeah, several times um, I felt as though God was calling me to some sort of spiritual formation, um, some sort of being set apart and um, going on some sort of a retreat that... Um, so I've done really long dry fasts, you know, going up to seven mm -hmm. days, I signed up for the convent, you know, I, so it throughout, I felt like I've been called to some sort of, like a spiritual formation. And so the nature of these demonic dreams these days, it's usually me um, battling against the demon, 
and there are some days when it's successful and other days I just wake up because it's not successful. So. Okay. And how do you do, you describe that, sometimes you battle against uh, a demon. How do you do that? Um, well, you'll find that it's either I'm encountering it in like as it is or it's a person that I'm praying over in my dream and then this person is either coming out to choke me or whatever and so I'm just like casting it out saying in the name of Jesus get out um, and saying scripture in the dream okay and um, you have had prayer for this for your night terrors um, yeah my aunt prayed for me once um, and then the night they didn't go away but for a while the casting out demons in my dream was successful okay so when you get these night terrors in your dream you actually cast them out like when i wake up no when you're still sleeping like when i'm dreaming yeah do you actually dream that you're casting demons out yeah usually i dream that i'm casting them out so there are some days when the demons actually go away. Leave. Yeah, they leave and um majority of the time my voice doesn't come out and so I'm trying to get my voice out and then in the dream that my voice actually comes out then you know usually there is victory there yeah. but then majority of the time my voice is not coming out and then I like quit and wake up and I know what's happening because it's been so many years so I just know I'm like Nemo just wake up this is not gonna end and I actually wake myself up like, okay I was on my back okay yeah so um I don't know if laying on your back, that is something that you have experienced. That's a phenomenon that you would relate to that. I'm not sure how important that is to um, these dreams. Um, but uh, I'm wondering about, you said your dad was a pastor mm -hmm. and that he had these books and you were reading those on the occult. Were those Christian authors talking about the occult, or were these occult authors talking about the occult? I don't remember, because I was 11. I didn't really care about the author. I just went straight for the content. Okay. Yeah. And then did, you, did it lead you into practicing any magical spells or anything like that? Yeah, for sure. Okay. So you participated in occult kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay. My family, I also come from a witch background. Okay, so your family comes from uh, witchcraft. And where from? Tanzania. Tanzania, okay. Um, so there's a lot of interesting clues here that I'm hearing, okay? So, um, see, it's one thing if you're studying the occult. See, um, a number of years ago, I got set free from demonic bondage. Had no theology for that. So I went to study that. I went over to Bethel Seminary Library to sit down and start reading and under, to understand what had happened to me. That these are Christian authors writing about what they understand about the occult. In fact, you'd be interested in this. I went to uh, Francis McNutt's conference on deliverance back in the 80s down to Florida. So he and Judith did a wonderful, uh, they had some guest speakers come in and <laughs> Anyway, um, Francis McNutt is a, a former Catholic priest that has done wonderful writing and um, education in the area of healing and deliverance for some of you that don't know that. Um, getting back here on track. So 
to study the occult from a perspective of trying to understand what to stay away from or how to understand when you're dealing with somebody in this realm and coming from a family background in that realm. So was your, your grandparents were involved and your parents before they came to Christ? Or what do you know about that? Yeah, my maternal grandmother was oppressed by foretelling spirits. Okay. So she was able to talk about the future and she was actually convulsing with demonic voices. And this is, she became a Christian, you know, um, I think sometime in the 80s. So this was most of her life. And then um, because her grandmother was a witch and her grandmother died before she could pass it on to her, but then she just got these spirits. Um, and then on my mom's side, my grandfather, who's a believer now, but he was he had charms all around the house and um, there was some strange things that would happen with my, my mom and her siblings. Okay. So, you know what charms are? You said there was charms all around the house. Those are things like, um, you know, uh, sometimes you can buy a necklace and the person says, if you wear this, this will prosper you. This will help you be lucky, lucky charms. That's what they're for. You can have a charm bracelet. What those charms, if they're real charms, they have actually been energized by either a pagan priest, a new age priest, or something, there is something to give them power to do that so they can make that claim. Um, typically, there's a little horn that kind of has a squiggly thing, and these are said to bring prosperity to anybody that wears those. So when you wear those things, what you're doing is putting your confidence in these charms rather than in God. And what happens is, and they can even be religious charms. Um, what happens is that you put your confidence, oh, I've got my charm, I carry it in my pocket, or I wear it, or something like that. And um, those are false gods. God is the only one with the power to protect you and to save you. And these false charms, when I was a kid, I had a rabbit's foot, because that was supposed to bring you good luck. I didn't realize it then, but that any kind, any kind of dependence on something else is a false god. And so God says, don't have any gods before me. Don't depend on those things to rescue you because he's the only one that can do that. Um, crystals are the same thing. You can buy crystals at the store, uh, at the New Age store and they are supposed to bring you luck. They have good energy, good vibes. You guys know what I'm talking about? Are you familiar with that? Recognize? See, that's just kind of new. I, I mean, it, it's not new, but it may be new to you that those things can actually carry demonic energy in them. So um, when they became Christians, did they get rid of all those charms and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I believe so. Um, you know, let me I'm taking some sidebars here <laughs> because I want to give you an, an education. A gal came to me a number of years ago, 
and um, her kids would not stay in bed. They would cry and come into their bed. They hated to be in their bedroom. And I said, well, um, gosh, maybe there is something that are, is scaring them. These are little kids. There may be something scaring them in their bedroom. And she's like, well, I don't know what it could be. You know, in fact, I've got these dream catchers hanging up on the wall. I said, oh, that's interesting. And she's like, yeah, and they're authentic. They were actually made by the Indians. And I said, well, in that case, that means one of their shaman or medicine men have come to bless those dream catchers. You know what I'm talking about, a dream catcher? So when a shaman blesses that, what he's doing is he's calling the spirits to attach to that dream catcher so that when you bring it into your house, those spirits would have an effect, and they're supposed to keep the evil spirits out. Here's what they don't understand. Those are evil spirits. And when, they bring, when you bring them into a Christian home, do you understand you are bringing conflict into your home? You may not even know it, but you're bringing conflict. And when I described that to her, she's like, oh my gosh, I've got one on every wall. What do I do? I said, take them down, burn them, and then go back into that room, confess your sin, and dedicate that room. In fact, dedicate your house to the Lord and his use in the kingdom. The report comes back next week. My kids are sleeping through the night. How amazing is that? See, we do stuff that we don't even understand because we're not privy to understanding the spirit world. And so that's one of the problems growing up in the Western world where we don't even believe in supernatural stuff. It's real, and we need to understand that. So in your situation, there's a family history of demonic stuff. There is... Um, influence that can come through the family tree. Um, we call those family spirits or familial spirits, not familiar, but familial. A family spirit that would travel up the line. In fact, with your was it your grandmother that did fortune tellings and, and readings? See, people that contact the dead and do uh, future telling they are not contacting the dead. They are contacting spirits that imitate the dead. Okay? So uh, I've talked to people, and they said, no, I know that was my grandmother because she was, she was talking through the medium about this conversation that she and I were the only ones that knew about that conversation. So I knew that was my grandmother or mother. Or I can't remember who it was now. And I said, well... You need to understand that these demons hang around the family line. So not only were you and your grandmother there, but these demons are hanging out there too. So they know exactly what was said. So when the medium conjures that up and they give you a word-for-word -word, um, description of that conversation you had, it is to make you think that you were talking to the dead. And in fact, you were talking to a demon. Okay. So this, the scriptures strictly forbid talking to the dead. That's called necromancy. Um, we're not supposed to do that. That puts us in the realm of the occult. And in fact, telling fortunes. See, I, I don't think that demons know the, the future. 
but if they say something, if they predict something, then they try to make that happen. See, if I said, you know, you're going to trip when you walk out the back door, and then I sneak over there, and here you come, and I stick my foot out, and you trip, and you go, oh, Dave was right. I tripped when I went out the back. See, I, I can only tell the future as much as I can make that happen. And that's how the demonic realm functions. So the, the whole deal is to try to get you to believe in their power and that they do have um, more power than God. Here's what we know. Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and earth. He is over all the demonic realm, even Satan himself. But Satan has been given a certain amount of power and authority on this earth. I often say we need to respect that he does have power and authority, but we do not honor him. We honor God. We understand Satan's power and authority has been given for a limited time and limitation. But he can do stuff. So just knowing that. Um, getting back to your situation. So we know a little bit about family history. We know... Um, you became a Christian at age 10, and you started having these things at 11. Um, you rededicated or you confirmed in public your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, here's something that I find that is very typical. When a person comes to Christ, that is about the time they start getting attacked because Satan wants to um, take away any ability for them to be a good witness. So oftentimes people will just survive the Christian life rather than um, being victorious in the Christian life. And Jesus Christ wants us to live a victorious life. So here's what I'm going to do. Um, I think you can set this down here. Is I'm going to pray and just um, break the power of the family line in this, and have people done that before with you, do you know? You don't know? Okay. Oftentimes people will say, well, somebody's prayed about that before, or it's like anytime somebody offers to pray, take it, okay? Whether they've prayed a hundred times, um, just pray. Somebody may have a different insight or a different angle, or there's a different the, the power of the Holy Spirit may be here in a different way than before. Maybe you have more understanding. Maybe you're more receptive to what is being prayed after struggling over a period of time. So there's a lot of factors here, but just receive prayer. I don't think you can ever get too much prayer. I don't think you can ever pray too much. So you can relax. You can close your eyes and just be a sponge and absorb, okay? So, Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come in your power and presence right now to bring total deliverance and total freedom. I'm just going to wait on the Lord and see if he gives me any insights. So what that means is I'm going to be praying in tongues quietly under my breath because I don't want to freak her out. I don't want to freak people out. So I'm just going to be praying and asking the Lord to show me any insight in how to pray. 
bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and his Holy Spirit. Receive the blessing of the triune God. And by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, I sever any family spirit that has traveled up this family line. We break the power of any spirit right now by the authority of the living God, Jesus Christ. We void out any plan, any scheme that has been pronounced. In the name of Jesus Christ, we say no to that. We reject those plans and schemes of the enemy. And we receive the plans of God. Are you feeling anything? What's going on? I still have some relatives that practice and just I feel tired because it seems as though the more my family, uh, the more we pray over this issue, the worse it gets. And there's been several attempts to get rid of us. And so like as you're praying, the first thing when somebody prays for me over this issue is, uh-oh, now the demons are going to be really mad and really come after us. So when there's that fear and hesitation, it comes every time. Okay. Now, see, isn't that good to know? Because here's what you need to understand is that God has way more power than those demons. Mm -hmm. And the truth is they are going to come after you. They have been coming after you. But you can say no to them and resist them and reject them. See, the hesitation is part of the lie that the enemy wants you to believe that God and Satan are like this in their power, Mm -hmm. that it's kind of a yin and a yang, what would be called classic dualism. That's not what the Bible teaches. God is like way up here. Satan is way down here as far as power goes. Mm -hmm. And so we need to understand that God, we need to put our faith in God's ability to protect us rather than in the enemy's ability to attack us. See, what you're doing is putting your faith in that hesitation. You're putting your faith in the enemy's ability to attack you rather than God's ability to protect you. Does that make sense? So you have to change your mindset on that. And see, those are things that we fall into. I'm not condemning you by any means. I'm trying to help you to understand so that you can win this victory. Mm-hmm. We have been so programmed, we don't even realize that the way we think um, oftentimes goes counter to what the Word of God teaches. That's why it's so important to read and study the Scriptures because that's where we get truth. And when we know the truth of God and begin to stand on that, see, when the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 says, stand firm, sometimes the idea is in a a spiritual battle where you have taken ground, and usually it's the high ground. So the idea, when you take a hill, 
you want to hold that in military terms. You don't want to give that up because a hill gives you an advantage. Anybody attacking you has to come up and you can see all around. What we end up doing as Christians is we are down in the swamp and then we think, oh, we got to hold this ground. Well, we haven't won any ground to hold <laughs> or that's not the ground you want to hold. We've got to win the high ground. And the, the picture in Ephesians 6 is about taking the high ground and standing firm on that. First Corinthians, Paul tells us to stand firm. And so to stand firm in our faith that God is way more powerful than the enemy has the ability to attack or to bring havoc. Lord, I just ask you to bring a revelation of truth. And right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I rebuke these lies. Lies, stop it. And Holy Spirit of truth, I ask you to come and bring your truth. It's because of the destiny that family is called to, because of the destiny you are called to, that they would think that they can try to circumvent that, try to take you out. We say no. We say no to any of their plans. We say no to their strategies. We say no to the wiles of the devil. We say they are defeated. They're absolutely defeated. They know their future. We call them to task because they're trying to convince you. They're trying to deceive you. And we say no more deception. Only the truth of God. Jesus is powerful. And Jesus overcomes in your life, in your sleeping. He is overcoming for you. We give them no credit. We give them no place, no authority, because they can't do it anymore. They can't do it. No mm. more. Yeah, the mind of Christ. Mm. Thank you, Lord, that she is doing that battle in her dreams. But, Lord, you do that battle. Mm -hmm. Yes. You let mm -hmm. the Lord do that battle. Mm -hmm. And give him praise for that. Mm -hmm. Throughout the day, she goes to sleep. She wakes up in the morning. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Father. She loves you. Thank you, Lord. She has won ba battles. We trust you and believe that you're going to continue do. this. We do. Thank we you. do. Mm. Open your eyes just real quick. I'm going to talk to fear, okay? Because I think fear has um, intimidated you. Fear, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I rebuke your presence here. Yes. You can no longer do your work here. Fear, you leave right now the authority of the living God, Jesus Christ, and by his shed blood, you have to bow down and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Fear, you cannot wrangle your lies, intimidate any longer. This family is safe with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to talk to fear just like I did, and you tell fear to leave you. your presence in my life. Get out of here right now. And 
serving the Lord Jesus Christ and Him only. Amen. Lord, we agree with these prayers. We ask for your freedom, for a good night's sleep. And Lord, we ask you to protect this whole family. Make them a shining light of your glory and of your power. We pray this in the power and authority of your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Are you feeling relief? You feel peace? Okay, wonderful. Okay, we should probably pray some more, okay? <laughs> Thank you for your... So now we're going to wrap this up. But maybe there were some of you here that felt, you know, maybe I need deliverance. And that would be a good thing to be aware of because it would be good to talk to one of us so that we could pray. We'll pray for some people here tonight. You can hang for a little while. We'll pray for some people tonight. Nate, you're available to pray. Uh, if you need de deliverance, that's nothing to be ashamed of. To say, I think I need deliverance. I've had deliverance prayer before, and I'll have more deliverance prayer. Because it's easy for uh, demons. Paul, Paul says, uh, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. Well, what if we do? Then he takes it. And it may just be latching on to an emotion that a demon will, will latch on and influence you. I will talk about it being demonized. So we're not saying you're possessed by demon, but you're, you're being affected. And so I'm going to close in prayer now. And you can, uh, uh, as we close, just pray with the person next to you. Peace, or if, if you want to ask somebody to pray a deliverance prayer, that's good too. But then if you want to come up, you're able to hang for a little while. Remember, there's peace upstairs, a lot of it. So you're welcome to stay. Hope you can. Uh, thank you very much for, for doing this. And thank you for being a part of this. And so, Father, we, we pray for your peace now. Pray that you'd grant us peace where we have stirred up the powers of darkness. We're not intimidated by that. We're not intimidated by the enemy. We are overcomers through Christ who loves us. And so the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and grant you his peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the